Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. If you are visiting or new to our church, my name is Dave, and it's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at Harvest. And I had intended to wrap up our series now of 14 messages on the subject of prayer, and I had a really um, safe and encouraging message to bring, and it was pretty much written, and then um, last week happened, and... uh, I began to put my finger on the pulse of our collective national freakout. And I was getting more and more alarmed at what I was reading and hearing and how divided our nation has become. And this Wednesday, I just felt a sharp piercing in my heart that God wants me to address this. If you don't know what this is, please come out of your cave and join us. And so I feel like, as a pastor, I need to speak up for the perspective of Jesus in the midst of a lot of very strong feelings, and I need to help all of us find our way to a place of calm and peace and faith and hope. So I'll just start by saying it. Mr. Donald Trump is president-elect of the United States of America. Um, a sentence I didn't think that I would ever say in my lifetime. I, it's a sentence that I think even the people who earnestly supported him didn't fully expect to be able to say, but we say it now. And that's the fact of the matter. I think half of our nation is grieving. Half of our nation is in shock, still reeling from the news, the loss of their candidate, and half the nation remains to be seen what they're going to do, but that's the state of our country. We're perhaps more divided now than we've ever been since the days of the Civil War. And so I've decided to title the message, God Help Us, and I hope you don't read in that any kind of political statement. I just think that at least half of our fellow Americans are whispering that under their breath all day long, As a sign of defeat and disgust, I would like to turn it into a statement of real dependence and a crying out to God. Because I think that without God's help, we are in big, big trouble as a country. I don't know if you've said those words, God help us, in the last week, but whenever we as followers of Jesus say the words, God help us, it better really mean that we understand that God is our true and present help. That even as we experience worry and dismay and fear and triumph, we don't experience anything in this life as those who don't have a God in heaven who is in control and who is very near to us and watching over everything that happens on the earth. And so this morning, I want to offer a very short treatment of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4, And then I want to offer some practical ways that we can all respond to what is happening in our country, 
not as Republicans or Democrats or Independents, but as followers of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Here's how I don't want you to hear this sermon. I don't want you to sit there and try the whole time to guess what my political leanings are. I'm not going to tell you. It doesn't matter. You don't have to figure out whether you're going to come to this church based on who I voted for. I will say this. I found virtue and I found vomit on both sides. I'll just be honest. I had to pinch my nose just to go to the polls this year. I found beautiful things and ugly things on both sides of the political aisle this time. And I'm not going to take sides on a political matter, but this morning what I want to say to all of you is what I believe God wants us to hear as his followers, because even the church right now is divided, and divided very sharply along political lines. And so please don't listen to this sermon looking for some sort of endorsement or offense. If that's what you walk away with, you did it all wrong, and you misunderstood everything I'm saying. So please don't do that, because you will waste your time, and you'll have wasted mine, and I was up really late putting this dumb message together that I, like, I don't want to call an audible on Wednesday. I'm so stupid. I must hate myself, but I was up forever, and I toiled over every word, and I begged God to tell me what to say, and I still think some of you are going to walk away upset. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) If you don't like it, at least buy me coffee and yell at my face, all right? So a a treatment of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4, and I'll go fast, because I really only have one big thing I want to say from this important text. Let me read it. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I want you to just sit and marinate on those words of truth for a minute, because they very clearly express in every administration, in every political climate, in every era of history, the one unswerving, unchanging heart of God towards humanity. God doesn't... God doesn't vote left or right. He has a plan for this world. And his heart, his aching desire for every person he ever made is that they should somehow come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so in this text, as Paul is training up his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, as you lead the church, the people of God, teach them this, Timothy, that they are to pray at all times for all people. And then he does something very interesting. He calls out in particular those who govern over us. And he says, in particular, make sure you remind the people of God to pray for their governmental leaders. Whether they be kings or congressmen, presidents or dictators, whoever rules over us, it is our Christian duty to intercede for them in prayer. I know that you've heard a lot of people on Facebook and on the media strike a very diplomatic tone. I'm glad for that kind of civility. And many have said, you know, the election's done. You might not like the result, but he's the president now, and it's our duty to pray for him and hope for the best. 
And even hearing that said in such a, a neutral and diplomatic tone, many Americans are finding it impossible to swallow. I can't pray for this man. And yet, if we don't approach the world politically, but first as a people of God, God's word leaves us no real choice here. He didn't say pray only when you like the person you're praying for, but he said pray for even the king. And do you understand that when Paul was writing this, the wicked emperor Nero ruled in Rome. If you're not a big fan of Mr. Trump, you ought to study a little history and think about the people who are ruling when God wrote these words to his people. And he says, despite who rules over a nation, the people of God only have one true king. And that one true king says to us, pray for those who lead your nation. Especially, perhaps, when they're reprehensible, Because you don't know for what purpose God has permitted such a person to hold authority over this nation. Now, a lot of people have said, let's pray and hope, cross our fingers, knock on wood, throw some salt, get a rabbit's foot, whatever. Just pray that it'll be a good administration. But most people who say that are saying, probably won't be. I'm going to say this. I don't want us just to pray for a wise and just and righteous administration. Anyone can pray for that. Here's what I think we should be praying for as followers of Jesus. Here's what I believe Paul was telling Timothy to teach. was that we don't just pray for good government, but we pray ultimately along with God's heart for the salvation of every man, woman, and child in our nation. That that's God's agenda. That's his political platform, is that there is really only one central problem to the human condition, and that is that so many people God loves and made and created for fellowship with him are lost to him, far from him, and if they would come to him, they would love righteousness. They would have peace and quiet. They would have holiness and godliness as a mark of their lives. They would do right. They would treat their fellow man decently and with dignity. All those ills we're trying to turn to Washington to fix. God says, if we would but pray and watch man and woman and child come to faith in Jesus Christ, hearts renewed from the inside out by the power of a transforming gospel that heals the deepest wounds, that forgives the deepest stain, that changes the hardest heart. If that gospel can transform a nation, then that nation will have a sure footing and a life of peace and quiet and godliness and holiness. And so I ask you, don't just pray for good government. But I'm going to ask you to join me in praying earnestly every single day for the true and genuine born-again conversion of Donald J. Trump and all others who lead our nation from the top. What you disdain in Mr. Trump, if you don't like him, is every resemblance to the enemy of Jesus. What we hate about another person is always a reflection of the distortion of the image of God in them. The fact that though God made us in his image, that image is deeply distorted by sin. And the greatest problem is not a person's platform or political policies. The greatest problem in any person is that they are lost to God and don't know Jesus. And because of that central problem, every derivative problem mars their image and scars our ability 
to like them or even deal with them. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me whether you voted for him or you would like to see him removed tomorrow. I'm going to ask you to join with me in obeying the word of God and praying every single day that Donald Trump will bow his knees in repentance and know the Lord Jesus Christ so that he would govern not from a place of a political platform, but from a place of true righteousness that comes from his heart. And if you've blurred your eyes and made believe that Mr. Trump is a Christian, I'm going to tell you that I don't believe that's right. And that's nothing to do with politics. His life is a matter of public record, and his character has been proven to be seriously worrisome. And we need to pray that whatever is wrong or right about him, the one thing that will be true at the end of four years is that by God's grace and by some act of God, he would know Jesus Christ as his true Savior. Now, that may offend some of you. I can't know another person's salvation state from this distance. But I can watch the news. I can listen to what comes out of their mouths. And I am praying that even if he is a Christian, he will be a true sold-out pour out his heart, love the Lord Jesus kind of Christian. Even if that doesn't happen, God remains on the throne. And Mike, thank you so much for the song that reminds us of that truth. But that's what I'm asking us as a church to pray for. Not just for good government. For the light of the gospel to break through in Washington, D.C. It's our favorite pastime as a nation to complain about our government But let's stop praying for reform in the government and let's start praying for true transformation in the hearts of those who govern. And look, I wish you guys could see your faces right. I have no idea what's going on in the room. But from time to time, if you like Jesus, you're a fan of God's word and anything true is said, could you at least maybe whisper amen? Just just a little amen, I guess, whatever. Could you even just say whatever, but with a kind of holy tone? What, whatever. You should, I'm going to make every person in our church preach once, just so you feel what it's like to preach here. All right. Anyway, no, I'm not going to do that because that's crazy. <laughs> let, let me give you, offer you some practical things which any of us on either side of the political aisle can do practically in response to the condition the state our nation is in. And the first thing is simply pray. Pray. That's, I already kind of talked about that, but in addition to praying for the salvation of our governmental leaders, I think we need to take a posture not so much of vocalizing or marching or protesting, though those things are valid and important, though they are an extension of our freedom as Americans, There's a difference between what you're free to do and what you ultimately really trust to bring about change. Do you know that? Like you could have a really good fight, corner your spouse against the wall and say, I won this time. You got nothing to say. Shut up. Drop the mic. Leave. I have won this round. And you could win a fight and think you have won something only to realize you cannot trust in a good fight 
to heal your marriage. There's a difference between what you're free to do and what you ultimately really trust to bring change in this world. Exercise your freedom as Americans. People bled and died for that freedom. Exercise it. Let nothing hold you back from speaking out whatever you need to say, whatever you need to do, wherever you need to march. Do it. Follow your conscience and your convictions. But don't trust those things alone to produce change because the truth is half the time you're speaking and marching, nobody cares. Nobody's even watching except the guy next to you marching and picketing. Yeah. We are in this together. And I don't mean to mock it. I'm just saying, if you trust those things to change the world, you're going to be waiting a really, really long time to see this world change. What we as followers of Jesus ultimately put our trust and confidence in is that when we pray, God moves heaven and earth. And there's only one person who can flip that switch in the depths of the human heart and make people better. You can make better policy, but you can't make better people. Only God does that. And he does it because we pray. If the last thought on your mind right now is to pray, spend a little quiet time in front of God and ask him why that is so. We also just need to pray in collective repentance and concern for the state of our nation. We're really divided, and there are some people who are on the losing side of the last election cycle who are still reeling in real pain. There are real concerns about what's going to happen in this country, and there are some people whose real lives are going to be radically changed for the worse in the days to come if the policies promised are enacted. Some people are going to be seriously hurt by that. And that's not a political statement It's just a statement of fact and logic that if such things happen in any election, whenever those things are enacted, somebody's not going to fare well. We're divided and a lot of people are scared. And if you as a Christ follower want to be faithful to God's call, it's time to really pray for our nation. Even the church is divided now. Do you know that 90% of evangelicals of color voted one way? And 80% of white evangelicals voted another. And people who stood side by side under the banner of the cross are looking at each other and saying, I don't understand how anyone who loves God could have voted your way. And people who used to sing praises to Jesus next to each other are wondering if they could even still keep going to this church or that church. There are many who have very publicly on social media said, I no longer identify with the label evangelical. If that's what evangelical means, I am not one. I find that totally deplorable and staggering that we could decide which spiritual labels to wear by political happenings. A church divided cannot minister to a nation divided. And we here in the church, despite having to work through some very serious struggles over our differences of opinion, cannot just abandon one another and say, I give up on you. The gap between us, even if one of us voted one way and the other voted another way, the gap that separates us is far smaller than the gap that separates God from lost people. And if we take the gospel seriously, at the very least, the love of God has to have enough power 
to heal the wounds between people who love Jesus but voted differently in the last election. If it's not that powerful, it's not powerful at all. So we need to pray, and we need to pray for the healing of our nation. We need to pray that God would protect those who might come under harm. We need to pray that God might dampen the triumphalism of those who think this is carte blanche to do whatever they want. We need to pray for repentance for our collective sins as a nation. Because let's be honest, we got the candidates our nation and our culture deserve. We got the candidates that we produced. This last election held a mirror up to our country and what we saw reflected is ugly. But it's not just two people in Washington duking it out. That's us right there. That is us and our love for a good fight. Our love for self-righteous indignation. Our love for a good flame war on Facebook. Our love for demeaning, belittling the views of others and not listening. That's who we are as a nation now. And we who love Jesus cannot be like that. Yes, worry. Be disappointed, but do so at every step like Christians. Like people with an eternal hope. I've, I've read the posts of Christians writing I'm looking for reasons to stay alive now. I get it. Emotions are running high, but my God, we who love Jesus can never experience things without hope. How dishonoring to the cross of Jesus if an election can make us despair of life. Who do you think is in control? Please don't receive anything I'm saying as a spanking. I'm earnestly pleading with you for your own sake and the world who is watching. We have to do better as the church. Let me give you a second practical response to the state of our nation. This is going to be hard. Praying is hard in this present climate. It's really hard, so we have to pray, God, help us, right? God, help us pray. It's really hard right now for a lot of people. Let me give you another one. Listen. I think civil discourse has all but disappeared in America. I don't know if you remember a movie called With Honors, starring Joe Pesci and Brendan Fraser, or Fraser, however you pronounce his last name. It was back maybe 15, 20 years ago, but it was a great movie. It's about a, a homeless man and a Harvard student. And it was a great movie, but the thing I remember most... Most people have forgotten this. The thing I remember most was Brendan Fraser was a student at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, and his dissertation, his senior project was how cable television is going to democratize the political system because everybody will know everything all the time, and the knowledge gap will disappear. And I thought, that's brilliant. That's exactly what's going to happen in this country, is that there will be 24-hour news, everyone will know everything, every citizen will be informed, and now we will all know what's what. I don't know how much difference that's made, but it's, it's at least true. Everyone knows what's going on 24-7. Here's another thing that's happened. The Internet has given everybody a public platform. Hasn't it? Do you know every one of us is published somewhere? We have a public voice. And you know what I think has happened is everybody took that public voice and they're standing on top of their little roof and they're shouting at the top of their lungs and nobody is listening. Do you ever just get that feeling? Everybody's shouting and nobody is listening to anyone else. 
It's easy to make the lazy choice to paint the opposition with a broad brush. To describe those who have differing views in the most unsympathetic, ungracious, ugly, demeaning ways. And for some on the fringe, those words might be true. I really think there are some evil, vile human beings living in the United States. Are you, are you in agreement with me? Do you believe that such people exist in the world? Yeah. But I don't think the majority of our fellow citizens are those people. I think people are wrestling through their personal frustration, their issue, and they're looking to Washington as an extension of, I don't like the way my life feels. I don't like the way our world's going. I'm yearning for something different. And they're trying just, just through the simple act of casting a ballot to produce difference and change in their world. And maybe the vote you cast carries with it a host of other consequences and associations, but it is not helpful to our national dialogue to speak of the other side in these vile, simple, lazy one-liners. I think that in a time of fire, it is immoral to throw gasoline around. You could disagree or be asleep, but it's true. In a time of fire, it is immoral and inexcusable simply to throw around fire, throw around gasoline because you like to. This is not a time for more shouting. It is now more than ever a time for true listening. And just because you think you understand the other party's platform doesn't mean you've learned how to listen. Some of us don't even know how to listen to our own families, much less an opposing political view. That's the truth. Before you congratulate yourself for being fair-minded, pause and think about how well you truly listen to somebody whose platform and views are reprehensible to you. I want to encourage all of us not to speak of the other side, whatever the other side may be to you, in these simplified, demeaning terms that kill the conversation. Voting for Mrs. Clinton is not tantamount to or the same as wanting to kill every baby in every womb. Voting for Mrs. Clinton is not a desire to invite every terrorist to come in unchecked into our country. Voting for Mr. Trump is not desiring to do violence to every immigrant, every woman, every person of a different sexual persuasion. When we speak like that, and act as if everyone with an opposing view is a baby killer and a hate monger, how are we supposed to have any kind of real conversation about the real issues that are tearing apart our country and affecting real lives? You think you're defending someone and helping someone? All you're doing is setting the country on fire. And all the while, real issues are plaguing real people. And our vitriol is not helping anything. That is not the right way for those who love Jesus to fight the good fight what I'm going to say. So I'm going to ask you, whoever you supported, and thank you, thank you for those brave people who tried just now to clap. (laughs) I I feel very much what you attempted to do. Shame on the rest of you. All right. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to find somebody who voted differently than you. And not, not punch them in the face. Okay? 
Start there. <laughs> Try really hard not to punch him in the face. I've never watched so many evangelical leaders out themselves on who they, where they're political. Every other election cycle, everyone's like, you know what, our job is to speak for Jesus. I'm not going to take sides. Not this year, no. Not this election cycle. Every evangelical leader is like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for. I'm going to tell you who you should vote for. It's amazing. I've never seen this kind of tone in America. I'm going to ask you, find someone who didn't just vote differently from you, but who really voted differently from you. Like, truly, truly voted. And I want you to sit down, and you buy them a cup of coffee, and you suppress the gag reflex. Take some Dramamine, and just listen. If you supported Mr. Trump, and you'll notice I'm... I'm trying very hard to be disciplined to call them Mrs. Clinton and Mr. Trump. I think the way we address people who we don't know personally speaks more to our character than theirs. You don't call someone the Donald or Hillary like you know them. These are people running for the presidency of the United States. Let's try to return to the 1950s and address people as Mr. and Mrs. a little bit, can we? If you voted or supported Mr. Trump, I'm going to ask you to listen to the real fears and concerns and worries that those who supported Mrs. Clinton are feeling right now. The feelings of betrayal, alienation, and don't belittle them or demean their feelings or fears as overreaction because I think some really serious things are going to happen to those people in the years ahead. You'd be amazed how quickly the climate and culture of a nation can change. It takes one administration to produce an America you wouldn't even recognize or have ever dreamt of. If you supported Mr. Trump, listen, truly listen to why so many people are worried. It's easy to laugh off a young generation who can't go to school right now because they're afraid for their lives. I've seen posts like this saying, Yale has canceled exams because students needed a safe place to process what just happened. And I see so many people commenting on that. Oh my gosh, that's stupid. Listen, maybe we can say this generation needs to be tougher, blah, blah, blah. But there are people with real issues and real fears, and we need to hear why they are so scared. We need to acknowledge that some of those fears are real. And they're not baseless. Some very bad things are likely to happen in America that are going to affect a lot of people. And we need to listen to each other. If we fight fire with fire, like I said, the world will just burn. Listen to each other. If you supported Mrs. Clinton, wave down that truck with the Confederate flag. I just saw one in Hoffman Estates for the first time. Wave down somebody who's who's smiling right now, who said, I'm so happy, and say, okay, I don't maybe agree with your political position, but I want to know what drove you to vote for someone who you might have found reprehensible in character, but at least you wanted change so badly, you plugged your nose and went for it. Because that's at least half the people who I think voted for Mr. Trump, we're not voting for him, but voting just for a hope, a wild, long Hail Mary pass or some change. I'm just sick of the way things are. And when people are willing to go to that length to just hope for a little change, that, that, that means there are some people who are very frustrated, very sick of the way things are. And partly, 
Did you notice nobody ever prior to the election said they're going to really vote for Trump? And then everybody did. Because I think the way we talk to each other, we punish and shame each other for any opposing view. And it was very unfashionable to say anything positive about the right side's agenda pre-election. We cut off the conversation. We muzzled one another. Don't dare act offended that nobody said anything because we would not allow anyone to say anything in America before the election. We shouted people down just for saying something weird. And there were a lot of very frustrated, angry Americans who just want things to be different. I don't know what they want changed, but I'm trying to listen as well. I'm trying very actively to listen to both sides of this issue because I pastor people on both sides of this issue. And both sides have some very real things to say. If we could stop slap fighting and just really decide, let's try to do something that changes something real. Listening like that with humility and patience, it's not going to be easy. It's really not. I found it very difficult so far. And so we say, say it with me, God help us. God help us learn truly how to listen in a world that won't shut up. Let me give you one more thing here. It's uh, to act. Act. The ballots are closed. Time for casting votes is done. Process worked, it spoke, whatever. It's now time to do more than contribute an opinion. And if that's what you've contributed so far as your opinion, we need more from you than that. Your Facebook feed will not change the world, guys. And I know you understand that. I'm not, I'm not trying to mock you. I'm saying, beg God for the wisdom to know how to do more than just post your opinion. Because your opinion is just the same as everybody else's. Everybody has an opinion. But at this point, I believe what God wants to do is change things and heal our nation and produce real transformation. And as we pray and cry out for him to do that, he's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, you also do something real. Stop huffing and puffing over a policy position and do something that touches real human beings. I think that's the heart of God for us. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said these really piercing words. I love Paul because he didn't pull punches. He said, okay, you religious leaders, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? Yeah, but it's just movies. I mean, it's just MP3s. Like, everybody does it. Do you who preach against stealing, steal? Do you know why I was saying that? Because it's easy to preach a thing. It's much harder to come under your own preaching. So let me follow up on Paul's example and offer a few words of challenge on both sides of the aisle. You who preach against misogyny and the mistreatment of women, do you continue to view exploitative images of women in pornography and somehow try to morally defend your choice? Do you continue to draw a paycheck from a company that does not compensate women equally to men because you have a safe living? 
Do you speak to the sisters and mothers and daughters and friends who are women with disrespect and emotional violence? It's easy to preach against misogyny all the while being a misogynist in practice. And so I say to you, if you really care about the dignity and equality of women, don't just rail and rage in your own life for the women around you. Do everything you can to protect, elevate, dignify. I don't believe it's possible for a man who likes porn to rail against the misogyny of a presidential candidate. Shame on you for even thinking that's somehow possible in this world. Shame on you. Misogyny is not a political position. It's a corruption of the heart. And Jesus has to fix that. And it takes more than words. And so I ask you, if you really care about women, do something that honors the women in your life. Amen? You who preach against immigration reform, are you really the best citizen you can be? We worry so much about all the the chaff that will come into our country. Half the people who already carry a passport are worthless citizens based on their civic participation. Before you worry about the strangers coming in, ask, are you a really good American yourself? Have you done everything to help make this nation truly, truly good? Have you paid your fair share of taxes? Stop with the gymnastics about, oh, it's smart, shrewd business. Cut it out. If we all thought that way, we'd be riding horses over gravel paths, man. Pay some some stinking taxes. Don't cheat the system. If they're filling sandbags, go and help out. Anything, just be a good citizen. Don't just worry about the outsider coming into your village. Are we assisting those? If you don't want to open wide the gates, are you at least actively assisting those who are playing by the rules and seeking to integrate themselves into the American people? Are you actively welcoming, helping with the transition, blessing, funding those people who come from very hard places looking for a leg up and they're abiding by the rules on the books? At least those people start there. Are you doing all you can? to help them come in? And have you really done a gut check and searched in the presence of Almighty God to root out any xenophobia, any racism that might yet cling to the dark parts of your heart? Sorry, Andy, but i got to go here. Even though I have a strong position about this, you who preach against Obamacare. Let me tell you, Obamacare has not been my friend. But I'm not the one for whom it was written. But when I just start at a localized level, my premiums, I'm just getting jacked right now. I'm almost to the point where I can't afford health care myself. And yet I say these words to you and to myself. I'm listening to me right now. You who oppose Obamacare, that's great, but do you stand ready to help bear the real financial burden of those for whom, when that support is withdrawn, they will be in very bad shape. I have a very good friend 
who is in very bad medical condition, and he is absolutely dependent on Obamacare, and praises God every day that such a measure is available. Now, maybe that's just one person in one story, and I can't make policy based on one person in one story, but that's a real person that I know and love, and I'm really worried about what's going to happen to him. And if that support is withdrawn, his statement on Facebook was, I don't know what's going to happen to me, and that's an honest medical statement. It is not an inalienable right in America to get medical care and live. You can die because you can't afford medical care in this country. And I say to us as the church, regardless of our perspective on that particular policy, when real people are affected, will we stand ready to pour out our own silver and gold to stand with somebody whose real life was devastated by a change in policy? That's not a political statement. That's a kingdom of God statement. And I'm having to look in the mirror and ask, as I complain about my premiums, what if that's not the only cost that goes up for me, but that I have to stand with my brother who will die without the medicine he needs? That's not alarmist. It's not overreacting. That's just real. What will we do when the policies we espouse hurt real people in the end? And it's okay to still say the policy makes sense fiscally, governmentally, but the people of God can't hide behind policy. We have to live in the world of flesh and blood and real people and real lives and real stories. And that's where we make the difference. That is not going to be easy. And so we say what? God, help us. I'm scared of what that's going to bring. And let me give you one last quick thing. Over all of these things put on love, Listen to what Jesus said. You know how it works. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the United States today. Everyone's very clear who my neighbor is and who my enemy is. I've even heard people say, you're my enemy. You can't believe that and vote that way and not be my enemy. Good Lord. God help us. God help us. Open up our Bibles. Listen to the words of our Savior because we were once his enemies and we lay claim to his love every day. He said, I tell you, love your enemies. That's the real measure of love that comes not from man but from God. He says, love your enemies and pray. Do you realize that the Jesus who wrote and spoke those words was born under the administration of a king who ordered the murder of every child who was born near Jesus' birthday. Our staff would shrink by two people if that were the case. Joe and Bobby would not be with us if Herod lived today. Jesus was born under the government of a king who ordered the murder of of thousands of baby boys because of a threat to his throne. And yet Jesus says to us, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you know how hard it is to love your enemies? Do you know how hard it is to really love your enemies? I can't do it, not without God's help. I don't think you can either. So I want us to say together again, God help us. God help us.
We don't have much time left, but I want to show you a quick video by Dr. Tony Evans. Some of you have already seen it on the internet. If you haven't, I think it is a beautifully stated position. And then I want to invite us to take a few minutes just to pray with each other for our country. Can we do that? Can you guys roll that video and then we'll pray? There's a famous nursery rhyme that simply goes, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mr. Dumpty's world had become shattered, and he needed it fixed. But he didn't go to his friends or his family or even his church. He went to the White House. Now we know he went to the White House because the king got involved. The king was sympathetic to Mr. Dumpty's dilemma, so he called a meeting of Congress. We know Congress got involved because all the king's men got involved. But the tragedy of the nursery rhyme is when it was all said and done, all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It is unfortunate today that far too many believers are expecting the solutions to our problems to land on Air Force One. I'm taken to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua is doing reconnaissance around the walls of Jericho. He looks over and he sees the captain of another large army dressed in battle array. Now Joshua's mama didn't raise a dummy. He wanted to know whose side are you on? Because if you're on our side, then we've got help against Jericho. But if you're on their side, we've got double trouble. So before I go out here and make a fool of myself, whose side are you on? That's when the captain says to him, I think you are confused. I'm neither on your side, nor am I on their side. I'm captain of the Lord's army. I did not come to take sides. I come to take over. is God does not ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. That if you're a Democrat, the best you can do is vote Democrat light, L-I-T-E. Or Republican light, L-I-T-E, because your job is to bring the either one, the L-I-G-H-T. Your job is to represent another king and another kingdom. You and I belong to another kingdom. Let's represent the kingdom. That was good, wasn't it? I fully agree with the sentiment in that video. And he said it so much cooler and better than I ever could have. So I didn't even try. In the few minutes we have left, I'm going to invite us not to pray as we might be tempted to do in a private silo, but to do exactly what our nation needs, our church needs, and turn to one another and pray with each other and for each other. I don't want this to turn into a um, political coffee clutch. I, I don't, what I want it to be is simply to say, let's pray together and just launch into praying. Let's pray together for our nation and for our leaders. Can we do that? Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.